ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Oh, and there's a big hit from the, the kickoff. Andrew Davies been knocked out. And now there's going to be a fight near the ball. That's Parramatta eel Andrew Davey copping a head knock in round 24 of this NRL season. That would turn out to be his last game of footy because this week he retired following multiple head knocks and advice from medical experts. Earlier this year we saw Sydney Swans defender Paddy McCartan do the same and we saw the Knights send star Caelan Ponga to Canada to see a specialist as both codes grapple with how to best manage concussion. The dust has settled on some brilliant seasons of footy, but it's time to reflect on one of the big issues from the year. How can we make the game safer and better look after our athletes? And how can we make sure this trickles down into grassroots and junior sport? I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily. Dr. Rowena Mobbs is a neurologist and is one of the leading concussion specialists in Australia. She was also part of the Senate inquiry into concussion in sport earlier this year. Dr. Mobbs, this may seem a really obvious question, but how much of an issue is concussion and indeed the after effects in contact sports in Australia? Well, it's huge. We've seen so much media, so much attention and focus on concussion and CTE. And I think rightly so, you know, the the brain is very precious. Um, It's who we are. We have to look after it better than we have done. Um, So I think this is a really interesting transition into what I would see as a, a modern sporting approach here now, being our best through sport, not only physically, but neurologically. And uh, I think that not enough focus has been on that in generations gone by. We've seen a lot of change now, but that's a long way to go. Collingwood's way, and Murphy was hit front on by McCarthy, and Murphy's a little slow to rise. Yeah, it was they both low and hard at the ball. I think Murphy will definitely be coming off for a head injury assessment. It was two players committed. So in terms of the physical effects, when you talk about CTE and concussion, what are we talking about? Well, they are two separate issues. So concussion is a single mild traumatic brain injury. And until we have those specific tests like a blood-based test or a brain image to say you have had this microscopic injury in the brain, we won't know exactly what one concussion is in one individual compared with another. So we have to assume the worst in a way. We have to be cautious about this and, and know that it is a mild traumatic brain injury and we have to take it seriously. The is out, comes short side right. Big hit there on the always hurt. Kalen Ponga, that might be his head. He's gone down instantly as he tried to tackle the second row at Kapoa. And he's down on the ground, trainer comes straight out. Louis, that looks... Concussion is often a one-off event from which an athlete hopefully recovers over the following days, weeks, or sometimes months. But CTE is due to repeated sub-concussions. This is separate to concussion. In fact, some of the studies around the world would suggest that there could be hundreds of sub-concussions of equal or greater force than what you needed to cause a concussion in the first place. Concussion simply means your brain shows symptoms or signs of concussion like loss of consciousness, knockout slowness, wobbly on your legs, confusion. So he passed the first head injury assessment test down in the rooms. We saw him bob up here and it looked like he was going to go back out, but he had to do some run-throughs and the doctor was watching to see if he could run in a straight line or not. CTE is due to the accumulation of that that total force of head injury. It's the number, it's the total G-forces you've sustained over the years that you've played football and very sadly a percentage, and we we don't exactly know what percentage, but a percentage of athletes will go into this type of dementia. They'll build up tau protein in their brain that eventually leads to neurons dying off and, and a time 
type of dementia. So in recent years, we've seen both the AFL and the NRL start to take head knocks more seriously, players being subbed out of games and taking time off the following week, sort of a stand-down period to recover. Are these measures enough? What, what more can they be doing? We have seen so much on concussion, but but where is the protocol drive towards better sub-concussion rules? You know, so I think that this involves training, but also game day competition. We need to reduce head injury burden, that total force, in any way, shape or form. So that could be things like reducing the contact drills in training. That's a very easy thing to target. Some players may not like that or it may not be um, as exciting, but I think that, that you can learn to tackle safely still. There may be a certain age where you have to institute that motor memory but then we can modify training drills the number of training drills the time of exposure to head injury but also the total force so how how hard do you go in so I think that those protocols need to be set in place that probably will need multiple stakeholders to have this adhere to so there could be government regulation there could be different rules um, and in different insurance for example on on practices around concussion and sub-concussion schools or clubs can take the lead but ultimately what we will probably see now is the generation of evidence-based national protocols on this front that's really going to change the game for the better in my opinion. Earlier this year we saw the Senate inquiry into concussion in contact sports. What were some of the key findings in your opinion and some of the recommendations that can be implemented? So the the Senate made some I thought outstanding recommendations that really are going to change this intergenerational focus on tackling hard and glorifying the heavy hits. We need to see a culture around safety in sport now and looking after your brain and and having a well-being approach for life through sport. So it's things like the recommendation one was national sport sports injury database. So that's a national registry with an expectation that professional sporting codes will feed their data and they have the best data in the country into this registry. We can learn from that and apply therefore best evidence into protocols in future. There will be establishment of independent research pathways, government led rather than sport led. Anyone could see that there may be an inherent bias or conflict of interest if you're leading your own protocols and I think there has to be an independence but also that's great for the sports as far as putting up best scientific minds to this across um, across the board, independently and transparently. There is a focus on at-risk cohorts, and I was so pleased to see that the Senate focused on kids in sport. They, after all, can't consent. We, we've got the parents consenting to their participation. We need to have better awareness around what the effects of sports could be, but without an alarmist approach. We need to see that sport is, of course, healthy in many ways, and kids should be in sport, but safely so and reasonably so. Great footy. Kids, great, 40. And that will filter through as well to change on the elite front. So in terms of professionals, there was talk of occupational health and safety measures, looking at, at how their wellbeing is during their career, but also after their career. And the Senate focused on, on care pathways for those who are at risk or already suffering the ill effects of repeated head injury in sport. So we quite often see in sport things happening at the elite level that sort of trickle down to grassroots and junior levels. But with, I guess, the implementation of things at the junior level, we kind of see that flipped the other way if we see junior sports people and junior athletes kind of learning more about the impact of concussion at a young age. We can kind of see that trickle up as opposed to down. Absolutely. That's the smart approach. I think prevention is key, but also changing that culture and looking after your brain for life. 
Sport should see this as a golden opportunity to lead the way in the community for healthy um, you know, neurological development. So the brain actually doesn't finish development until the mid-20s. And, and you know, kids have young brains, vulnerable brains, that soft brains, and we must encourage that they have normal development and are looked after through sport, but also avoiding any other risk of dementia, say alcohol, smoking, um, living well throughout your life. So sports can take the lead here. We should see, I think, our legends of the game male and female come together and be role models for concussion but also sub-concussion and CTE risk and sports can see this as an opportunity for generational change modernising their sports and therefore preserving their sports as well for the future we're not out to stop sport we're just out to (laughs) see that there are good sensible reasonable changes across the board why wouldn't we? We're seeing potential change at the junior level we're seeing potential change at the elite level but what sits in the middle of that Dr Mobbs is sort of grassroots or regional footy or local Mm. footy leagues. So how do we ensure that these sorts of changes and these sorts of mindsets around concussion make it into those sort of local footy leagues? Because, you know, there may not be the same number of doctors or physios or independent medical professionals watching these games to say, no, you've had a head knock, you need to come off. Daddy's going to go out there because he's injured. Daddy's going to help him. Daddy's going to go save that guy. How can we make sure that this is widespread change across our contact sporting codes? Absolutely. Look, it's not an easy issue here. You know, people um, may not have those resources that the elite codes do, of course, but recognising concussion firstly is is easier than you might think. Well, in fact, we have seen it on the television many, many times and most of us will know a knockout, but what about the slowness and unsteadiness of gait or ataxia that you look for? In fact, American football, NFL, they only introduced ataxia as a mandatory get-off-the-field and no-go feature of concussion last year. Tonga Bailoa, oh boy. Getting up. Oh, my goodness. That's an awful, awful sight to see. They will take him to the sideline immediately. So there's much training and change and education that can occur. But also in the the country... A coach, for example, if they aim to reduce head injury risk or time of head injury contact training drills by half, then they may reduce a player's risk of CTE by 20%, according to the American data. And if they're in high-risk positions, 50% in some cases, it's a percentage game. So the coach can take the lead. Players should start to recognise that these issues are around, try to learn more and, and understand that. But ultimately, we need grassroots, club-level change, that is consistent across the board. And this is where we're going to see evidence base coming through in a national program of care and research, which is exciting to see. There's been a lot of discussion, especially in Australia, around sort of AFL and NRL and how there can be rule changes implemented into the game to do exactly this, to protect players, to protect them from concussion, sub-concussion, and then in the long run, potentially CTE. From where you sit looking at these recommendations, looking at what the sports are doing at the moment, as a sporting fan, watching the game, what do some of these changes then look like on field? Well, on field is one thing. So certainly there should be the detection of concussion. There should be monitoring now, I think, for, for professional players. You could look at towards accelerometry technology and that's coming through and the coaches and ancillary staff may be aware better of the, the forces that a player is exposed to. There should be independence of doctors, true, true independence. I think there should be a transparent approach as far as nominating medical staff to, to say, a bunker for video review of concussion to ensure that this is rigorous and independent. Um, but ultimately, 
ultimately, it's also the off-field. Um, so we need to see monitoring of training-related head injury burden. We're going to actually need to see the elite codes talk about CTE, talk about subconcussion. Of course, there are legal questions abounding, but they haven't talked about how they're going to prevent injury for their current cohort of elite players, what, what are they going to do in future, and it's like radiation or, or asbestos exposure. There's going to be some sort of need for monitoring. Then there'll be a need for monitoring after retirement, I think. Can the codes look towards a medical model where where athletes are monitored five, ten yearly perhaps for any neurological change and deterioration? Because it's a long haul on a CTE. We're lo- often looking at 10, 20, 30 years beyond their retirement. Someone like Wally Lewis maybe have had you know, 30 or 40,000 hits over his career. We need to see some more changes in 2024. I would, I'd see it as the year of subconcussion, having had a lot of focus on concussion. Well, it feels like there are still some steps to take, but it does look like we're moving in the right direction. Dr. Rowena Mobbs, thank you so much for your time and the work you're doing in this space. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Headlines. Melbourne Demons forward Joel Smith has been provisionally suspended after allegedly testing positive to cocaine during the home and away season. The test came after the D's round 23 win over Hawthorne. Sport Integrity Australia are investigating the circumstances of the positive test and the club say they're supporting Smith through the process. It seems the NRL are closing in on who will receive the 18th licence and it's not good news for North Sydney Bears fans. Papua New Guinea are now in the box seat after the New South Wales government scrapped $11 million in funding promised by the previous government. There is talk that the PNG inclusion could come as soon as 2025. Cricket and David Warner is calling for individual umpires' stats to be shown on the big screen to improve accountability. He compared it to the NRL where officials are held accountable through selection. Players' stats go up on the board as you walk out to bat. When they announce the umpires and they come up on screen, I'd love to see their stats come up on the board as well. Obviously, players get dropped for poor performances. It's never explained to us about how or what goes on with the, the panel as well. So it's just an indicator, just show the spectators of what it's... Yeah, it's not easy. If Warner spent less time wondering about the umpire stats and more time in the middle, Australia might have a better record in this World Cup. Just a thought. I'm Poppy Penny and this is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Mick Radojkovic. Thanks to Fox Sports, NFL, AFL Sunraiser and Bar TV Sports for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.